Good to have you back on our two-hour Thursday edition of Sports Talk because the intersection will be coming up at 6 p.m., a brand-new show that ESPN Radio started a few weeks ago. And now they got a new lineup that's going to be starting next month, changing around their morning show and bringing Greeny back and Golick's going to be gone. It's, it's crazy. But we know the intersection's coming up at 6. We've got uh, head coach, technical director of El Paso Locomotive FC, Mark Lowry, at 5. But... I wanted to start today's show off. Now, it's so weird because the story that came out early this morning and how it affected high school football in El Paso because of the new uh, health ordinance and and, and how health officials met with superintendents for all high schools uh, in El Paso. And we realized that with um, students not being uh, advised to go back uh, for any face-to-face contact until at least uh, the week of September the 7th, which is Labor Day. So you got to figure the 8th would be the earliest. What this essentially does is it takes zero week in week one of the, of, of the high school football season out of play. And then if you look at UIL's rules where you have two weeks of ramping things up before you can start playing, you probably can scratch the second, the third, you know, the, the next two weeks. So now you've you've missed your first four weeks of high school football. And we, we probably should stop calling it zero week because it is the first week of the season. And then you get confused. You run out. You, you lose track of weeks like we lose track of days around here. So the point is you would, you'd miss the first four weeks of the season. Best case scenario, you start last week, uh, last weekend in, in September. Thursday, Friday, and September, and then you go into into October. So, Adrian, the story this morning was no, you know, we're going to miss potentially two weeks for sure, and maybe even four weeks of high school football, missing all the non district games and probably start district play. Yeah, and you're you yeah know, you're starting to see on the statewide, Steve. It's just getting really scary right now. A lot of news coming today, and just the high school start for the season just does not look promising to start on time at all. I'm happy you mentioned that because then the Dallas superintendent goes on record and he says that he doubts that there's even going to be a high school football season this year. Now, when El Paso delays from two weeks and up to four weeks, that's one thing. When the guy that's running the Dallas schools goes on the record and tells MSNBC he doesn't even see a high school football season in Texas this year, that's bigger news. So that happened also today. So now, you know, as much as we're looking at the first two to four weeks in El Paso, you start to think about the bigger picture here, Adrian, which is, we might not even have a fall football or, or athletic competition right now. No, you're totally right, and this is just such a sad thing right now, especially because you know high school sports here in the borderland are such a staple to all the fans, to the players. I feel bad for the seniors. I feel bad for the coaches. Everybody affected by this, all the out, out of uh, out of uh, football activities like cheerleading, band, what you name it. Yeah. I I feel really bad for everybody involved, and I'm just really sad to see this uh, all come to fruition right now. You're right. And then, of course, uh, you know, we have college football going to crap today, but we'll deal with that later. That's a big story, too, by the way, which has a lot of implications here locally. But let's stay on the high school story to begin the show today. We've got Julio Lopez uh, joining us to begin things. He is the head football coach for the Eastwood Troopers. He's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, at EHS Coach Lopez. He's active. He tweets. He's opinionated. He should have his own sports radio show. So instead, let's bring him on to our program and, and kick things off with Coach Lopez. Coach, good to have you uh, on the show today. And, and as we kind of set the stage prior to bringing you on with us, 
uh, it has been a a day that has not been good for obviously uh, coaches, players, parents, so to speak, involved in fall sports, especially football. But at the same time, it almost feels like this is something that's been, you know, we've been thinking about for some time. We, we just haven't really had any definitive word until some of the stories both locally and in Dallas has started to leak earlier today. Yeah, well, well first off, thanks for having me on. I got to admit, if, if I didn't become a coach, I did envision myself growing up being the next Mike and Mike in the morning at some point, maybe in Bristol. So maybe that's a career down the road I can look at, but uh yeah today was a rough day just um you know it was something that i think is in the back of all of our minds and has been for the last couple months you know we all uh and i say we all meaning coaches players and not just football but for volleyball cross country tennis we we all held out hope and i have held out hope for a while now that things would return to some sense of normalcy and that we would start things on time for the fall to include school and part of that thinking was that we would have COVID-19 under control by now and we would have flattened the curve and, and we would have had a good plan in place for how to conduct our, our fall sports across the state. But, you know, with today's news and, and delaying, again, not just football, but all sports past that September 7th date, um, our, our, you know, I guess our worst fear, one of our fears kind of came to fruition today. And then, you know, I guess as with all the other news going on, you saw the dominoes start to fall in a lot of other places with, the Big Ten announcing they were eliminating non-conference games. Uh, you know, for me, for to hear the Big Ten commissioner, which just happened maybe 30 minutes ago or an hour uh, hour ago, to hear one of the most powerful people in college athletics say that he doesn't believe they'll even have, uh, or that there's a there's a strong possibility that they won't even have fall sports or a football season, um, is really eye-opening to me. And then again, I think that all of us right now in in sports are you know kind of seeing our, our worst fears uh start to matriculate here for the fall season you're right absolutely correct and and, and that's such a good point because it's happening on a lot of different levels not just uh you know the local high school level but now you're talking about uh some of the uh, competitions uh, around you know college other states i mentioned dallas earlier and let's be honest coach i mean when el paso makes this announcement earlier today we're thinking wow that's that's going to be tough because you know you're, you're going to lose the first four games of the season but you could still salvage district play and that's assuming the rest of the state decides to keep uh, playing football. And then all of a sudden, you get the superintendent from Dallas, uh, uh, Hinojosa, saying that he doesn't even envision a football season. And that's uh, considering the, the number of schools there and how large the Metroplex is and, and the effect on the UIL, that's a, that's, that's a huge, huge storyline for a lot of us to follow. Oh, no doubt. Uh, I, I think everybody would agree that you know Dallas is really at the epicenter of of Texas high school football. So when you have a superintendent now, to be clear though, that was just his opinion. I don't think it was tied to anything necessarily that the UIL was saying in, in, in their press releases, but to have a superintendent in that area flat out say, he doesn't know how we can have high school football. You know, I think creates a lot, a lot of waves across the state and across the country. I mean, cause I think a lot of eyes in the, not only in the state, but in the country look to Texas and athletics, and, and obviously football in particular, to see how we're handling this so that they can model kind of their plan after uh, after one of the best states in the, in the country in regards to Texas high school football and, and athletics and how it's ran. So, yeah, to hear him say that was really eye-opening. 
um, and, and really sent shockwaves, I think, throughout all the, uh, again, not just football community across the state, but if you can't have football, again, that, that impacts a lot of other sports as well that are scheduled to start in another month. Coach Julio Lopez of uh, Eastwood High School joining us here to begin the show as we continue on Sports Talk. Now, Coach, uh, it's obvious that a lot of opinion is being mentioned, and you know we had our, our initiative today from health officials meeting with the superintendents, but because you're starting to hear from more and more big Power 5 conferences and, and the larger cities in Texas, it does seem that it's only a matter of time before the UIL responds. I just don't know how long they're going to wait before they make a decision on what's going to happen with fall athletics here in the state of Texas. Yeah, I think there's a couple things to consider there. I think, number one, the UIL, and they released another statement today in regard to the superintendent's comments saying that as of now they plan to start everything on time, just like they released yesterday. But uh, I'll be honest, I think what's going to end up moving the needle in regards to the UIL making a drastic change in their thinking is if the biggest counties in Texas follow El Paso's lead. And I'm not, and I'm not necessarily saying that they would copy us or look to us for any guidance or on a way to handle things. But if you get a da- the da- you know, obviously a county in Dallas, the county, uh, the you know Harris County, you get Houston, you get San Antonio, you get these big counties that, you know, really, I, I don't want to say run the state, but obviously are big players in the state in regards to athletics. That all of a sudden have the same mindset and set the same type of timetable and guidelines and delay high school athletics in those counties and those cities, then the UIL, I think, is forced to have to do something. El Paso being the only one right now doing it, they can, I would imagine, can obviously just sit and wait and see what happens after today. But once you see other big counties in the state begin to really contemplate whether they can have high school football in particular because of the nature of the sport and the fact that you can't social distance, or else you're just a really bad football team, um, you know, basically they're going to have to make a decision as to how they move forward and whether they delay the season or move it. Or I guess at that point they'll weigh every option possible to see if they can salvage a football season. So, again, I think once you see other counties in the state and how they react to it, um, I think that's when you'll see the UIL be forced to make a decision and play a bigger role in what exactly high school football will look like come you know, August and September. Let's talk about your team just as an example, because I have you on the show right now. Um, you know, how many seniors do you have on your roster this season? And and guys that you feel have a legitimate shot to play at the next level, but maybe not necessarily have received the kind of offers yet that they could get if, if they get a chance to suit up and play this season. Well, this is definitely a year that we, we've been looking forward to since I got hired five years ago, and we could see that these two classes merging between our junior and senior class. Um, so if we don't get to play, that will be extremely disappointing because we think we have a really special group. But we have 43 seniors on the roster, um, the majority of which all returned from last year, obviously being on, on the varsity team. Um, I would argue that El Paso is one of those places that, in regards to recruiting, you know, this, this uh, you know, not having a football season would hurt a lot of our kids. Now, look, the, the Aaron Dumas's of the world, the, the kids, uh, you know, Tavoris Jones and, and these guys that have Power 5 offers already, it's not going to necessarily affect them because they have the offers in their back pocket already. They got the coaches to buy into them, and these Power 5 schools have already offered, you know, 
for them to, to obviously join their programs. But I would argue in El Paso, we have so many kids, because it's an under-recruited area, that are senior evaluation kids. It's for whether it's a Power 5 school, a Group of 5 school, or FCS, or Division 2, 3, whatever it is, um, a lot of El Paso kids that are recruited are recruited based on a senior evaluation. And so you take away a senior season from them, and, you know, the reality is uh, we are, if we don't have a season, uh, you're going to have a lot of kids that are missing out on an, uh, on an opportunity to play college football. Now, that's not saying that all of them will go missed, but I am saying that it will have uh, a serious impact because if you kind of look on the, other, on the flip side of it, you know, baseball players and softball players had their – I'm just using them as an example from the spring – but those seniors had their seasons taken away. But if you look at the landscape of recruiting in those sports, you know, travel ball, summer ball, um, the, the, you know, the Cape Cod-type leagues, the Wood Bat Leagues, and all, you know, uh, the kids still had that opportunity over the last couple months to go showcase themselves and play and still get that opportunity to maybe wow a coach that will extend an offer. Football isn't, isn't like that. You know, the coaches... You know, aren't gonna if football season gets canceled and we have an influx of seven on seven tournaments in the next six months, coaches aren't just going to be extending offers left and right based on seven 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 on seven tournaments. So I think that it definitely hurts recruiting, uh, uh, no doubt. And I think that you know a, an unfortunate byproduct of canceling football season is you're going to get a lot of kids that don't get that opportunity to have a great senior season, get their film evaluated, and, and hopefully get an offer to play at the next level. I agree with you. All right, listen, I've got more I, I want to ask you, but can you hang with me through the break, and we'll come back, and we'll spend some more time with you? Yes, sir, of course. Fantastic. We've got Julio Lopez on the phone lines with us right now, head coach of uh, Eastwood High School Football. Hey, if you've, got a, if you've got a question for Coach uh, for Coach Lopez, do me a favor. Send it to us on Twitter, 600 ESPN El Paso, through the uh, free powered by United Bank, or even call it off. We'll, we'll throw that out there because it's a great topic to start the show today as we send it out to Charlie One and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Back on Sports Talk as we continue our discussion to begin the program today with Julio Lopez, head football coach at Eastwood High School, the troop, as he's also a former minor. And where'd you play your high school ball? I played at Montwood under Coach Valise down there. Very nice. All right. So you've always been an East Sider, although you you had you had a couple of years where you were probably. Did you ever live on the West Side when you were going to UTEP, or did you always stay home and and, and commute in? No, I mean uh, I think a college athlete kind of lives on campus, so I did consider my my myself a uh, I guess a uh, I, I guess is, is UTEP a West, considered the West Side executive major? Oh, that's called West Side now. Or? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the West. It, listen, this city has expanded so much. Uh, especially east as well as west. That yeah, now UTEP UTEP pretty much uh, qualifies as West Side. It does. okay, sounds so. good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think right. during my college years, I definitely consider myself a, a West Sider. Not so much anymore. There you go. That's all right. Well, you're back east where you where, where you're you know where you belong, and you're at there at Eastwood building that program up. Hey, by the way, that uh, story from uh, Michael Hinojosa, the superintendent of the Dallas Independent School District, about um, you know having serious doubt that there's going to be high school football in Texas this fall. This fall, it just uh, made it to NBC News's official Twitter handle. So now it's that story is on NBCNews.com. So that thing that that story has gone viral, and uh, it's on one of the major 
major networks now. And obviously, that's going to get the attention of the UIL. I'm sure that he's probably been on the phone with somebody from the UIL since he made those remarks uh, talking about that. No doubt. I think somebody probably reached out to him and told him to walk him back a little bit for now. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what, Texas high school football in general – uh, when you have something like that that comes out, is it going to make national news? Because, like I said, I think the respect that is placed on Texas high school football in particular um, in regards to recruiting the college athletes that or the high school athletes that go on to play major college football and ultimately onto the NFL in, in a lot of instances, um, I think a lot of eyes are on Texas to see how they handle it in regards to high school sports where you don't necessarily have the resources for the testing and some of the other things that you see implemented at Texas and Tech and all these colleges or even, you know, Major League Baseball starting up or the NBA. And I think a lot of eyes are on the UIL in Texas to see, okay, if you don't have the money to test everybody every three days, like, uh, you know, Major League Baseball or University of Texas, how are you doing it? And that's why I think it'll it'll definitely make national news and continue to make news until we kind of final finally settle on a, on a decision and a solution. Absolutely right. Now, you just started your workouts uh, not that long ago with your team, kind of summer preparations, uh, getting ready. Um, how did you feel things were, especially trying to operate under these, these new uh, guidelines and restrictions? Was, was it a little difficult for you, or did you find that you were kind of able to navigate through it uh, these first few weeks? Well, we were only out there for actually three days, and then that's when it kind of got wow. um, dropped on everybody, uh, as well as from guidance from the UIL, not only in our city, but statewide, that, that they recommended everybody shut down for those two weeks. So we were actually only out there for three days. You know, it was really fun seeing the kids. We missed them. I think one thing all of us took for granted, or at least I took for granted, was how much joy you get in just the pure coaching aspect. Just, you know, just being able to coach and blow your whistle and put the kids through a workout and it wasn't even football related. It was just, uh, you know, agility and speed and conditioning. And, and, you know, I, we really miss, miss that me and my staff. And, uh, but you know, again, after three days, you realize that this is kind of the new normal, you know, but I think the biggest thing I took out of that, um, if I'm being honest is I think that navigating through the summer strength and conditioning is one thing, because to be honest, it's in our nature as football coaches or just as any coach to have a plan. If you tell me, okay, here are your guidelines, here's what you have to do, then I can put a plan in place for our program that we can execute that and do that. It's a whole nother thing to actually start practice in three or four weeks where social distancing in football is impossible. You cannot socially distance in football. And so at least in regards to real practice and running a you know practice schedule or a drill or whatever. So, I think that that's what I took out of it. It's that if this is how we're doing it on June 24th, how is it going to work on August 3rd? Because now we can't socially distance. Like, we have to be able to line up, put your helmet on, strap it up, put your mouthpiece in, and now we have to be able to compete in a very close, intimate setting against somebody else. So I think that's the main thing I got out of it is even back then having questions that said, okay, well, what is football going to look like if this is how restrictive our workouts look like on June 24th. Great point, which kind of begs the next question is, if you were even to get out and let's just say resume practice on uh, September 8th, if things were to you know to continue with the UIL and not get uh, canceled like we're, we're talking about right now, 
could you actually prepare in two weeks enough to ramp up for a season, or is this is that just not enough time? Well, I, I think in regards to football, like just pure football scheme, preparing for an opponent. I mean, we would be ready to go, and a lot, you know, in this timeline. You're talking for us, our first game back would be against Pebble Hills in the district opener. So if you're just talking in pure football terms, it would be my job as a head coach and our job as a staff to make sure that the kids are ready to go, which we would have them ready to go for our opponent. That being said, one thing that's being missed in all this with the new ordinance put in place, if I'm understanding it correctly, then you can't have any summer strength and conditioning at all until September 8th, or you can't have any face-to-face contact, at least unless I'm misunderstanding it. So if that's the case, it does raise the question or raise a concern as to physically how ready are these kids really going to be for the physicality that football and varsity football and at, at a level in Texas here that is very high, obviously, with a lot of great programs in town, how are these kids going to be ready physically to be able to take that on with starting so late and not being able to actually get in condition and get ready for the season. So I think that that question is twofold in the answer. It's, again, it's my job as the head coach to have them ready to play football and ready for their opponent. But then the concern or the focus also has to be, okay, these kids, I mean, some might be working out at gyms, some might be doing stuff, but your whole program isn't if we're not working them out or if we're not with them on a day-to-day basis. So I need to make sure that as a head coach now, I have to be able to navigate through that and not only have them ready to play at, at, a, at a high level in district play, but also you know do it in a safe manner where we're trying to get their feet back underneath them and get them conditioned and hopefully strength, give them some strength enough to get them through a football season. Eastwood High School head football coach Julio Lopez uh, joining us uh, here on Sports Talk. Now it's interesting. Uh, Greg Tepper from uh, Dave Campbell's uh, just uh, tweeted out they surveyed more than 500 Texas high school football head coaches uh, for this upcoming season. And uh, here's what he said. Most are not confident that the season will start on time. Most want to allow live broadcasts of Friday games. And this last one was interesting. Split on moving football to the spring. Now, I would think that, you know, spring football for a one-year situation because if it's spring or nothing, I would take the spring in a heartbeat, and especially in El Paso because the weather in the spring could be really ideal conditions to play football. Um, Are you surprised that coaches are split on the decision to possibly move it to the spring as opposed to just cancel it altogether? I am a little bit. Um, I mean, and I I can – I guess I've been trying to pinpoint – what exactly would drive coaches away from spring football? I know one of the sticking points was the fact that you would play a spring and then come right back in three months and and have to play another season, obviously assuming we start on time next year. But, you know, for me, I think when this all started, one of my hopes was that we would think outside the box going into this year um, in regards to COVID-19 and obviously a school year that is unprecedented, really. And my hope in doing that was, or in looking at it outside the box, is I I felt like there should have been some type of risk assessment that we could have done, as whether it's the UIL or however it is, or coming from them or or the state or whatever it would look like, that would weigh the risk based on each individual sport. Because I think that that's 
really crucial. I think treating every sport the same right now, uh, if, if, you, if you're really going to start sports on time in the fall, and which the UAL made clear the last two days, that's their intention as of now, then putting everybody under this cookie-cutter blanket that every sport is the same, I, I don't think that works in a year like this. You know, I mean, golf courses have been open for three months, right? A golfer, a high school golfer, does not run the same risk as a high school wrestler. You know, or a high school, you know, baseball tournaments, hey, we just had a huge one right in town this past weekend with 50-plus teams from 5 years old all the way up to 18 years old. So obviously baseball and softball tournaments have been going on for a while. So obviously the risk there isn't the same as a football player, a football program, or, or starting that season. And I guess that's where... My, I, I took that survey, and, I, and my, my hope and what I believe is if we would have thought about this early enough, the idea of, of rearranging the sports schedule, I think, could have worked. And maybe it still can. I don't know. I mean, we're, we are running out of time, that's for sure. But I just felt like going into this year, there was going to be a, a – there, there needed to be a different way of thinking. And um, I think all of us held out hope that it would return to normalcy and we would have really controlled this thing by now. But, you know, obviously, yes, as of yesterday, El Paso hit all-time numbers, all-time high numbers in every single category. So we're, we don't have it under control. And as a state, we don't have it under control. And, and I would argue as a country, we don't have it under control yet. So now Great we're points. in a position that if you really want to start everything on time, well, yeah, football, if you run a risk analysis, football is one of the highest risks for transmitting this disease during this pandemic. And would I have liked it to have been moved and maybe the seasons rearranged? Yeah, I would have. I'm not going to lie. I, I would have because I think that that makes sense. But I don't know if that is even feasible now, sitting here, uh, you know, second week of July, when everybody wants to start everything on time in four weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that uh, we didn't look at that option earlier or that that wasn't on the table. But... You know, it is what it is, and I guess that's where we stand right now. More with Coach Lopez as we continue on Sports Talk. But first, let's go to Adrian. He has this bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We keep things moving with uh, Julio Lopez, uh, head coach of uh, Eastwood High School. And um, Adrian, I know you've got a question for him. Before we get to that question, one other thing to bring up on the potential of moving uh, football to the spring that I didn't think of, but it makes it, it's, it's a good valid point. There are high school football assistants in El Paso that coach other sports. So if potentially football would be played and other sports would still be played in the spring that are normally in the spring – Sometimes you could have a conflict where if a coach would coach one sport and also coach football, he can't be in two places at the same time, coach. So it makes that a little more difficult too. Yeah, and and I would also uh, along those same lines, I would argue that a lot of your football players are probably your premier track runners, and a lot of your football players might play basketball. And so, again, at, at this point in time, to just flip everything around, I don't know how doable that is. But I think that's where my disappointment lies is that we didn't look at this option earlier to be able to put together a sports schedule or sports calendar that was more conducive to the conditions we were we're going through right now as a state in regards to COVID-19. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, there's pros and cons to each one. I think that the timing right now is really bad because you would, again, be hurting other sports and making kids choose between one sport or another sport, especially at the smaller schools. The smaller schools across the state, your premier athletes play everything. 
And so you really would be cutting into those programs and their success and making kids choose and making coaches choose which sport they're coaching or whatnot. But again, I, I just feel like this was something we should have seen coming uh, with all honesty. And I, I felt like this is something that should have been uh, weighted and co- you know considered uh, two months ago. Coach Adrian back here, uh, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but football camps are starting to pop up across the city by position, whether it be working out at parks or going to some of these camps knowing that cases are rising here locally. How do you advise your players during this time? You know, um, that's, a, that's a tricky question, obviously, because uh, on one hand, I, I guess the, the main thing I tell my kids is that they need to be safe. It's that every kid and every parent has a you know obviously has their views on this and, and what they can do, what they should do, what they should be doing, or what they can participate in. And so ultimately, it's up to those parents and those kids as to what they do. Um, I just tell our kids to be safe. I, I tell them that this is very serious. It has taken over a hundred thousand lives in our country, and it's not something to be messed around with. And but at the end of the day, the same way that I choose to take my son out to the golf course because he plays golf competitively and obviously we love getting out there is the same way that a parent has that right to put their kids or take their kids to a park if they want to, to do whatever they want to do, as long as it's within what the city allows. I mean, and I guess that's where we need to be unified in our message that we're sending across the board though. And I kind of, you know, Steve mentioned how I'm active on Twitter and I was a little, a little active this weekend with a tweet I sent out, but in regards to a baseball tournament, you know, and, and in regards to the fact that we're sending one message out on one hand that says you need to stay inside, you need to stay or stay at your house, um, social distance, don't have gatherings, don't have parties, etc. But then we have a 50-team baseball tournament that I, my son's been a part of those baseball tournaments. I mean, you're there all day underneath tents, and I, I mean, it might be outdoors, but, you know, at least all the tournaments I've been a part of with my son and then me growing up, I, it's really hard to socially distance. And I might be wrong. Maybe they did a great job of it. But it just sends conflicting messages when you're telling the public one thing, but then we're allowing another thing with these young kids or teenagers or these club teams that are playing. So, again, if the governor allows it, if the city allows it, there's nothing I'm going to do to stop these kids from doing that because it is well within their right and their parents' right. But all I tell our kids is that I love them, and I want them to be safe. And if they do make that decision, I hope that they're doing it, taking the right precautions, doing what the guidance is from CDC and our health officials locally, uh, because I don't want them to be a number at the end of the day. And so that, that's really all, all I can do as a head coach of a high school to address to our kids. Because, again, if they're following city rules, if they're following the governor's rules, then what, can, what power do I have over them to tell them not to? You know, I really don't. So that, that's it's a tricky situation. It's not, you know, there's no perfect way of handling it, but that, that's really the best I can do as a high school head coach and, you know, really just telling your kids to be careful. Another thing you were really vocal about on social media and just wanted to get your immediate reaction to the news about Kenya Tio not paying coaches if the season was canceled. What was, what was your reaction off that? Yeah, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for every district and every official and every every person in a position of leadership. So, you know, my 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 take on it is is, you know, I don't mean any offense by it, 
but I think that's a horrible message to send about their coaches. And, you know, again, I, obviously they had conversations, they sat down and they somehow came to that decision. But I just think that it, it's, it's not right. I think we're this far into July that to, to tell a coach that something out of their control and, and a season being canceled and them not coaching because of something out of their control during a, a national pandemic, that because of that, we're going to take your 8000 away. We're going to take your 10000 away. We're going to take your 5000 away. And I really don't even care what the stipend is. If, if All of us are the same. All of us have bills to pay. All of our families have bills to pay. And all of us budget according to what we make or what we're expecting. And right now in July, to release out that you're not going to pay your coaches, well, that, that's a terrible message. And, and, and I'll even add on to that because coaches work year-round. This is not a – at the high school level. I'm talking about the high school level. Coaches work year-round with their programs. I mean, if you think that me as a head coach, if I'm just working from August 3rd to November, whenever our season is over, you are sorely mistaken because we are year-round, year-round in providing guidance and instruction and running workouts and running off-season and doing everything within our power as coaches. And it's not just football. It's across the board that our coaches work hard and long hours and make sacrifices to be able to have their kids ready to go. And so to simply say that, well, you didn't coach a season, so we're going to take your stipend. Or even worse, I think, was out of the news story. And again, I'm just going by what I heard on the news. But to say that if a season is cut short, you're going to prorate their stipend is, is, man, that's a terrible message. That is a terrible message to the coaches in those districts who are quality people, who, who bust their tails to work day in and day out to provide these kids with a great experience and mentorship and, and teaching them life skills. It's just a terrible message that, um, well, I'm, again, I'm not going to speak on other districts, but quite frankly, I, I'm disappointed that, that uh, somebody would have that viewpoint. And I really hope that they reverse their, their, their action or revo- reverse their thinking and I really hope that no other school districts across the state would take that mindset because our, our coaches provide hours on end of quality instruction, of, of, of mentorship, of just anything you can imagine we are to those kids and to their parents. And we are in constant communication with them year-round, not just during the season. So, you know, again, I don't want that to come off offensive to anybody I have a lot of respect for for district officials and the decisions that they have to make, and I don't know all the ins and outs of those conversations, but I will say that the message itself and what you're sending out to the public by making that decision is not a very good one. I have less than a minute till I've got a break. Uh, Pinky messaged us on the app a moment ago and wanted to know if you were or if is he, was he, looking forward to going to play in 6A this season? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, we were in 6A my first three years, you know, and obviously dropping down to Division One 1-5A, it was a fun district to be a part of. You know, we were in there that first year with Coach Perales and Del Valle and Coach Calderon and Eastlake, and I think Dave Campbell that year even voted us the fourth toughest district in the state of Texas when we dropped down with El Dorado. So, you know, that being said, it's it's fun to get back up to 6A and renew some rivalries with, 
with some schools that we were very familiar with and playing and and we're always you know up to the challenge and i would argue that our schedule over the last two years was harder than our first three years with the schools we had on the schedule in our five non-district games plus the district schedule you know we had midland lee and plano the last two years um i i just think it's not it's not going to be a hard transition and getting ready you know because you know the way we schedule we, we've been playing a hard schedule for five years at least the last five that i've been there so you know, it's not really anything new for us. Follow Julio on Twitter at EHS Coach Lopez. That's at EHS Coach Lopez. And a terrific job today, by the way. And uh, anytime you're ready to uh, look into radio as a new career, uh, keep in touch and give me a call. I'll see what I can do for you. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Hopefully it's not All for right. a long time. Uh, I'm hoping for that, too. But uh, terrific <laughs> stuff today, and we appreciate the time, Coach. Appreciate that again. Excellent. Thanks for having me Excellent. on, guys. Julio Lopez joining us on Sports Talk. We'll come back with more. Stay with us. Up next, Eric Elkin, ABC 7 News. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. Six hundred ESPN El Paso. Welcome back, everybody, as hour two is underway. Just two hours today because The Intersection will be airing on ESPN Radio at 6 p.m. Brand new show that uh, kicked off a few weeks back and every Thursday from 6 to 8, The Intersection uh, airs here on 600 ESPN El Paso. So that means we take two hours and we cram as much good sports as we can. And hey, it's... This man who's back with us. It's been a while since we've had a head coach and technical director, Mark Lowry from El Paso Locomotive FC, joining us on the show. But you know what? They're the only game in town. Saturday night, 730. Uh, it is their return to play home opener against uh, Rio Grande FC. The uh, Toros will be in town and uh, Rio Grande Valley. And coach, good to have you back on the program. And uh, man, oh man, it's nice that I can actually say that soccer will be back on the pitch uh, beginning uh, this Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having us back on, Steve. Um, it's good to talk about sport again, I guess. I know there's still a lot going on in the world and we're sensitive to that, but it, it'll be good to get the ball back out there rolling and, and play some soccer again. I know, Will. I mean, for you, just it was, it's, it's been baby steps, hasn't it? Because first it was limited workouts, and then it, it grew to 10, and, and then 15, and the full team. And now here you are. You've got the schedule. You've got uh, really uh, a big, big start to the schedule with an opportunity to capitalize uh, on your home field uh, beginning Saturday night. And I'm sure that you and the boys are just chopping at the bit to get back out there and play. Yeah, we are, you know, and it, it's good to start up at home, as you said. You know, we always we always like to play at our, at our home venue here in El Paso, and, and usually it's because we play in front of great fans. You know, unfortunately that can't happen this time around, but it's still a familiar venue for us. We'll feel comfortable, and, and it'll be good to kick off at home against, you know, like the Rio Grand Valley Toros, who, who are a good team. They're, they're a tough team to play against, and you get a little bit of a Texas rivalry to kick off as well. 
Absolutely right. And plus, you've got a newcomer that uh, just uh, joined officially uh, a few days back in uh, Edad uh, Borelli, who had played uh, for FC Juarez. I know you haven't seen a lot of him, but what's the uh, early uh, prognosis like when you've had a chance uh, to, to see and get a first impression uh, of uh, one of your new uh, defensemen? Yeah, for, first of all, Adair is a great guy. Um, having conversations with him throughout this process before we decided to bring him over here, you know, the first thing that stood out to me is what a great human being he is. He was the captain over there for the Bravos for the past four or five seasons, so that kind of tells you a little bit about his leadership skills and the qualities he's going to bring to us. Um, so, yeah, like I said, great guy. Um, with Just like all of us, really, but with, with the COVID situation over there, he hasn't played or trained or kicked the ball for two, three months, so... You know, he's had his first couple of sessions with us this week. There's obviously some rust there that, you know, will we'll, we'll work its way out over the coming days and weeks. But you can tell straight away that he's a true professional, great experience. and He's just going to be a great asset to the group. And I'm looking forward to seeing how how he just acclimates to life on this side of the border and, 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 and enjoys his football with us. And, and I believe he's going to have uh, a great season with us and, and, and many more after that because he's the type of individual that you want in your organization. I'll tell you something else uh, about Borelli. It's interesting because I was reading the article that uh, Joe Rodriguez wrote for us on our website. Uh, he apparently loves the borderland for all the years he was playing for FC Juarez and uh, was very vocal in talking about that to the media. So, you know, you get a player that wants to stay here, loves this area, but at the same time, he's 29 years of age. So, Coach, mm-hmm. it's almost like you're getting a guy right in the prime of his career yeah. right now. Yeah, and, and, and it was it was those factors that really made my decision for me. When I spoke to him, he was very enthusiastic about playing for El Paso Locomotive. As you said, he has an affinity with this region, loves being in the borderland, and he was familiar with the team already. He's been over to watch us a bunch of times in the past, and he just really showed an enthusiasm and a desire to be here with us and to stay in this area. And that's always a big thing. You know, you want guys that, that love being in El Paso, and it gives them an extra 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 to the game a sense of you know belonging and that always helps with their performances so absolutely that, that was really like the, the thing that stood out was, was his character and also that he just wanted to be here and, and, and anytime a player wants to be here and have the right qualities it's usually usually an easy decision for us as far as the rest of the club uh, I'm, does it almost feel now where you're getting a chance to pick up right where you left off in March is there some rust that you've seen from workouts or for the most part of the guys been so sharp as they've uh, privately been training by themselves that you haven't really had to deal with a lot of that right now yeah I mean there's, there's been a sharpness in the qualities there um, but it's all it's just in short bursts right now obviously you know, no matter how much we train, the reality is the guys haven't played a 90-minute game since, since what, March 9th? The, the opener against Orange County, which seems like, you know, a lifetime ago now. So the reality is there's been no games since then for us. We've just been training the best we can. So the guys have shown quality, um, but it's just been in kind of those short bursts of training. And the, the rustiness will be in, in the match fitness. It won't necessarily be in the in the quality on the ball or, the, or the, their ideas or their, their understanding, that that's not my concern. The concern is just the fatigue that's going to build up throughout the game because, you know, they haven't played 90 minutes for, wasn't it, three, four months, which is always a factor. But I've told everybody I feel like every team is in the same boat. So because of that, it's almost an even playing field. 
Absolutely right. Now, Rio Grande Valley, uh, they lost 5-1 to uh, LA Galaxy 2 to begin the season, but it's been so long. It's almost, what, four months ago, so you really can't gauge one match prior to uh, the pandemic and and thus look at an opponent, can you? Because it's practically a second season for everybody right now. 100%. It's it's a second season, and frankly, I'm always very reluctant to kind of make formulate an opinion on games early in any season anyway. You know, in any sport, I think anyone will tell you, it takes eight, nine, ten games for, for things to kind of work themselves out. So any result earlier in the season really doesn't mean much to me. You know, I mean, look at us last year. It took us five games to get our first win, and then we end up making the Western Conference final. So, you know, the the, the, the saying is cream rises to the top, right? And, and it takes the whole season for that route to, to kind of work itself out. So, yeah, any result that happens during the season, I don't put much stock in. And particularly, as you said, it feels like it was a completely different season now anyway. So yep. we're just focusing on doing what we do and, and, and trying to put our best best performance out there. Head coach, technical director Mark Lowry of uh, El Paso Locomotive FC joining us here on Sports Talk as uh, we begin our second hour of the program. Were you happy with Group C when it was all said and done? I, I thought New Mexico United was a lock. I also thought... Phoenix Rising could have been in your group. I thought Vegas could have been yeah. in your group, but instead, putting you with Colorado Springs and uh, Real, uh, the Real Monarchs uh, in Salt Lake, um, that I didn't expect. So give me a reaction when, when the group went down. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we started to speculate and formulate our own ideas and opinions on what a group might look like, and I think you're, you're spot on. We thought that obviously you'd have New Mexico and Phoenix just because of, you know, um, geographical you know, locations and distance between the cities and the markets. But really, when you when you look at it, it's like, yeah, that makes sense for us. But, you know, when you look at San Diego and, and Orange County over there, it also makes sense for them to have things in their group because they're kind of in between. So it was really a no-win situation for the USO in terms of making the groups. So there was always going to be grievances or question marks over who's in what group and things. But I think we expect New Mexico. I actually expected Colorado. If you look where Colorado are as well, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a straight shot to New Mexico for them, and they keep on you know, heading further south, and they hit El Paso. So it kind of makes sense for Colorado. Monarchs was a surprise. Um, didn't expect Monarchs in the group. Um, I thought it would obviously be up there with, you know, in there with Vegas and, and, and groups kind of more in the, the north, um, northeast, kind of north-central area. But it is where it is, and... and I don't think, I don't think, I don't think we can put much thought into who's in our group because, like you said, it's a different season altogether. It's going to be unpredictable, and no matter no matter how it shakes out in terms of your opponent and and your opposition, it's just there's going to be some unpredictability early on because people are coming up against different challenges, and it's been a tough three four months for clubs and teams and players. So, I think it's just a case of getting back out there and playing, regardless of who the opposition is, and that's really our mindset. If you have a question for Mark, send it uh, to me right now, either on the uh, free mobile app or via the chat or uh, on Twitter, and I'll see if I can duck it in before we wrap this interview up. Now, uh, once again, four out of your first five matches are at home, so an an unbelievable chance to capitalize. But that being said, uh, knowing there will be no fans for the first two games, this Saturday and then next Wednesday when New Mexico United comes to town, what will you do regarding the... um, 
atmosphere inside the pitch at Southwest University Park. Do you want to pipe in crowd noise? Do you want anything besides just the players themselves playing in the empty stadium? What have you kind of decided towards the environment that you want for your home field on game night? You know, there's been a little bit of conversation about crowd noise, you know, pumping it in like, you know, the Premier League games have, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I'm not sure what the final decision was on that. I I wasn't too interested in getting involved in that conversation. Um, and also that that might have been more for TV purposes as well. You know, if you look at the, the Premier League game in NBC, that's actually NBC pumping that crowd noise and it's not actually in the stadium. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure where that ended up in terms of that conversation, but it, it's, it's an interesting conversation because what we've said as a staff and with the players is the crowd does provide you with energy throughout the game. It, it gives you that extra 1-2% to maybe run a little bit harder, to tackle a little bit harder, to, 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 to run through that kind of brick wall that happens, you know? So that's gone. So how do we find that? What are the parts of the game? Or is it internally within the group? Is it internally within individuals? What do we have to do to kind of make sure we can still find that extra 1-2% that the crowd gives us? So We've looked at different things in different moments in games, you know, different, moments, different moments throughout the game that, that, that always happen where we might be able to find a little bit more energy from, a little bit more intensity from, which usually the crowd can, can give you, you know, the crowd can provide it. So it's a conversation we've had and we've got some ideas um, and it'll be different. It won't be the same. It won't be as enjoyable. We all want the crowd there, you know, when it's safe and the right thing to do. It's not the same without, without the fans in the stadium. I think any... Any professional athlete or any sport will tell you the same. One of the big, big reasons for doing this is, is for the community, is for the fans. So not having them there is going to be a different challenge for us, but we've looked at different ways to, to find, like I said, that extra extra bit of intensity that the crowd gives us. So we'll see how it goes. Um, and I think as the games go along, we'll, we'll acclimate to it, just like anything. You know, I think, no, it'll take a couple of games to, to feel comfortable in those environments. But hopefully, sooner rather than later, we can get this thing under control and and people can start attending games again. We're excited about that, and that's why uh, so far the 11th and 15th has been announced, but not the 24th. So maybe we could start to see some of the numbers go down in the next uh, week to 10 10 days, and then all of a sudden, you know, New Mexico United becomes a home match with fans, which uh, I know everybody wants. A lot of uh, locomotive fans want that. The games are going to be televised. That's good news. I know I mentioned this to you a few weeks back when we were talking about some of the rules and, and there's now going to be the five substitution rule. Is the plan at least early on for you to utilize those five substitutions or like everything else, do you just base it on the flow and see how the game goes and, and just go from there? You know, 100% we're going to use them early on. We've actually kind of looked at the first four games as four games where we need to build people's fitness up, take those opportunities to work people into games, and, and spread the minutes out a little bit to, to make sure everybody gets the minutes they need for later on in the season. Because otherwise, if you if you don't do that, I don't think it's fair on the players. You know, I don't. I think if if you have a player or, or a few players that don't get on the field for four or five, six games, well, you're kind of halfway through the season already. You know, in this new format, so we've got to find opportunities in these first four games to get to share as many minutes as possible to build the minutes up in the players' bodies, in the players' legs. If we don't, it's going to be very difficult later on the season when we might need to rely 
on some of those players because of injuries or suspensions. And if we haven't given those players the minutes they need early on, they're not going to be ready. So it's going to be a juggling act. It's going to be a challenge for me to manage that, to keep the, to keep the integrity of the game and the integrity of the team and, and, and the fact that it's, it's a professional game we want to win. You know, that's always at the forefront of everything we do. But also finding ways to get minutes in. So I don't want to say it's going to be run like a preseason game in terms of substitutes because we only get five in preseason games. We can change the whole team out. We only get five, but we do have to find ways to, to, to get players minutes that they need that will ultimately help us later on in the season. I think that's kind of the, the long game that we're playing. We're not, we're not actually thinking about what happens in the first couple games. We're, ha- we're thinking about can we have everybody, you know, in good shape, in good condition, good condition by game 10, 11, 12, 13, 40, and hopefully that pushes on through the playoffs and we have everybody at the correct level. So it's going to be tough, Steve. You know, it's going to be a challenge for me and the staff to manage, but it's just it's the nature of the league this season. We haven't had any preseason friendlies. We haven't had the opportunity to play those games to get guys ready. So we're going to have to use these first four to try and get those minutes into them. On the flip side, there's got to be a sense of urgency knowing you only have 16 of these this year. And that's that, that makes it tougher, too, because every game is important. Every point is important. Absolutely. We have, we have to win. We have to pick up points. You know, we have to find a way in these first four games to, to get the balance right in lineups, to get the balance right in squad rotation, but also pick up points and win some of these games and, 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 and get those points that are going to push us to the top of the, the group. So... That's the hard part. That's, that's really what our job is. And this, this job is not easy. And I think this year it's been made even more difficult because of all these challenges we have. But, you know, I think we grow in these moments. I think we learn about ourselves in these moments. And I think we'll come out at the end of this season a better team for all these challenges, a better group for all these challenges, which can only make us stronger for years to come. Rio Grande Valley, Saturday night, 7.30. It's going to be televised out here on the CW. Excited about that and having Duke call the action once again for us. Coach, can't wait. Let's keep in touch, get you on quite often, because I got news for you. You might be the only game in town for the next six months. And that's we talked about that before I brought you on. And it's very possible that locomotive soccer is all we have. And I'll tell you, that just means that you're going to have the entire city keeping an eye on you uh, here over these next uh, 16 matches. Well, I hope we do the city proud. That's always our intention. Every time we get out there, is to do the borderland and this community proud. And, and if all eyes are on us, then then we welcome that. And it's a shame it has to be like that. I wish everybody could play, but we've got to kind of carry that load and, and do everybody proud. And, and I, I think we're prepared to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to come on here whenever you want, Steve. I love talking to you about the game and and growing this game in this community. And I just look forward to to doing it this season again. We'll talk soon, Coach. Best of luck Saturday night. Thanks for the time. Mark Lowry, head coach, technical director, El Paso Locomotive FC, as we continue here on Sports Talk. More coming up, but first let's go to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update for us.